two Proverbs. I couldn't just pick one today out of chapter 14 for you. Verse 17 and 34. 17 says this, A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil, evil schemes is hated. Let me do that one over again. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and one who devises evil schemes is hated. And verse 34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Good one. Okay, so I want to pray over um, the word, the teaching of the word today. Just would you just join in with me? Lord, as we explore your word today, we find ourselves once again um, at the place where all wisdom comes from, at the source of all love and all truth. Not any person standing in front, but Lord, your word. Help us to hear the voice of your spirit and to somehow capture what it is in your heart that, it, that you would like to somehow thumbprint into our hearts as well. And we receive in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Yes. So uh, I want to read today's primary verse and um, we'll launch in. It's from Daniel 4, verse 17. This is King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, who, um, who presided over a um, conque- uh, conquest of the children of Israel and carried them off into captivity. Here's what he says. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Amazing thing to come from a king who had conquered. I want to ask you a couple questions, and um, these are not tricks, and I don't mean to um, push anybody out of your comfort zones, but it's it's more fun if you participate with me in this. Okay, so I just want to ask a couple of you questions. So so how many of you actually enjoy the, the drama and the chaos and the tension associated with a national presidential election. You actually enjoy all that. <laughs> I wasn't looking for that kind of support, honey. <laughs> now, some people like it, okay? I'm, and I know people who love it, and they're... But some, how many of you can't wait for it to be over? <laughs> wow. You know, you think to yourself, I just can't stand it, I hate it, and when politics comes up, you know, at the dinner table or in some social setting or, you know, with my extended family, I just don't like it when it comes up and I get nervous a little bit. How, how, many, how many of you are actually the one who brings it up? I, I, thought, I thought I saw Alec raise his hand, but instead he just, his nose itched. Have you ever noticed how somebody asks an awkward question and then your nose itches and you don't want to... Am I the only person? Okay, so... Um, I mean, how many of you have watched all the debates? You've watched them all, or most of them? Okay, quite a few. Okay, so I'm, I'm, they're, they're interesting to watch. Um, others of you going, debates? Would, there was a, what's a debate? Okay, so... All right, one last question of this. Um, how many of you have already made up your mind who you're going to vote for? Okay, quite a few. Just... Just curious. I mean, um, and maybe maybe you're a little bit surprised that I'm asking these kinds of questions because I know many people think that churches and preachers in particular, you know, should just stay away from all things political. We shouldn't even be talking about this. So I just didn't ask that question because I don't want to have your hands all go up and say, "Be quiet." Because, um, but, but first off, I want to put you at ease. I'm not going to tell you today who to vote for. I don't, that is not my role. Um, I, I, I'm, I am going to talk a little bit about where our nation is and what's going on, and, um, and so we'll see. Because that's part of our culture, and, it, and our culture definitely intersects the Word of God. So uh, I, think, I think many, um, if not most Christians, begin in this kind of process trying to think about voting and, and politics. So, you know, they, they start the process by asking the wrong question. The wrong question is, who should I vote for? 
um, rather than a more important question, which I think is, how should I vote? How should I go about doing that? Asking the correct question, question is fundamental to, to finding the correct answers, I think. So, um, I mean, if, here's what I mean by this. If, if, if you were to come to me and for help, and your personal life was in shambles, and and you said, you know, I, I, I don't know which way to turn, Pastor Terry. Could you help me figure this out? What I'd do is I would sit down with you. We would crack open the Word of God and find out what it says about your dilemma, what you're facing. And we would find um, in God's Word, His truth, we would find His resolution to what it is you face. If, if, if you came to me and your family life was in shambles and your husband and wife were not communicating and everything was upside down, We'd do the same thing. We would crack open the Word of God and say, okay, what does the Word of God say about your experience and where you're at? And what solution? Because God has a solution here. We would figure that out together. If, 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 if you were a leader in a church somewhere and this happens to me um, and you came to me and said, we got, we got problems. I don't know what to do. You know, people are confused. There's disagreements. I would sit down with him or with the leaders and say, um, here's what the Word of God says about what's going on in your church. God has a solution to that, and we would do that. I mean, that's the approach that I would take. Scripture solves not only personal calamity and family divisiveness and ecclesiastical confusion you know, in churches, but and the reason that it does that is because Scripture holds the final and authoritative answer to all, all of life's concerns. In fact, Every question that we face today has two answers. God's answer <laughs> and everybody else's answer. And um, when those two differ, everybody else is wrong. Gee, that's pretty bold. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean but, but, and the problem is that where we often go for answers as a nation, when there's chaos in our country. Ask yourself that question. Where do we often go? Because where, where do we turn for solutions when we're experiencing moral decline and social decline and, and economic decline? Um, at a, and, and when those things are happening at a rate that's kind of scary and we think, you know, is this next generation going to even have the opportunity to grow up in, in this, you know, and what do we do when division and debt and, and, and our own internal protests and struggles between institutions that, that should be trusted like police departments and you know there's all these things going on where do we go for answers and what many Christians in fact maybe too many Christians do is unfortunately we kind of change books we kind of change books when it comes to politics and, and elections way too many Christians spend too much time appealing to, to family or history or tradition or culture or, or financial expediency or personal preference than they do to seeing what the Bible suggests about um, and teaches. And it's as if somehow Scripture is good enough to talk about our family problems and our marriage problems and our church problems. It somehow is deemed insufficient for us to, re- to help us respond to politics and to government. But that very same book can restore a home. And it can restore marriage and, and restore a church. So I really believe that it can also restore and transform um, our nation. And, and I, I really don't think we need to change books, so to speak. I mean, and it's, it, it's precisely because I believe we as a nation have changed books that we face um, 
some of the problems and the chaos, and, and, and they seem to be getting worse than they've been before. So, and, and since a Christian's belief system, um, a Christian's worldwide view has to be derived from God's word, it should come from the Bible, then I believe out of necessity, God's word should inform our politics and um, therefore our vote. So today I'm going to issue to you a um, corporate challenge, a group challenge, a, a pastoral request, a spiritual charge, I mean, however you want to, um, to, to all of the Christians in our church. In fact, any Christian that maybe hear this message, um, say, I, I want to issue this. And by the way, I believe you people are up for a challenge. I think many Christians are not but I really believe you are because you're a mature group of people and I love you like crazy and I just watch the way you conduct yourselves in life. And, and I want to say one other thing too here. If you're, if you're, if you're here and you're, you're really not a Christian, this is a perfect Sunday for you because you're going to hear, we're going to be looking at something that Jesus said that you agree with and you maybe not even know that the, the commentary originated with Jesus so there's some common ground. But, but, but first off, I want to say this. This challenge that I have is, is not for everybody. Although anybody can jump into it if they want to. My challenge is to people who are Christians. And here's what it is. I'm asking you to put your faith ahead of your politics. To put your faith ahead of your politics. And, you know, you, to, to put your faith filter up front and your political filter somewhere else down the line after that. To be a Christ follower first and a Republican second, to be a Christ follower first and a Democrat second, to be, to be a Christ follower first and a libertarian or you know, um, an independent second, where, whatever is your political view, that you would subjugate, you would submit, you would place your political views below your faith, below your faith values and below your Christian values. Because if for no other reason, nobody after they die goes to Washington, D.C., Nobody. <laughs> now, some of you are going to find this challenge a little bit hard to do because we get very passionately involved in this process. As much as we dislike what's going on and the tension and the conflict, it's, it's, we, feel, we do feel, many of us, very passionate about it too. You know? And um, I'm... I, I wanna, I'm gonna add, it may be hard for you, but I know you can do this. And here's how I know that you can do this. Things can happen in your life that would make your political persuasion you know, completely irrelevant. Things happen. You know, I mean, it, it, they, it, you know, yesterday Lisa and I got a phone call from close couple friends, friends of ours. And I'm not at liberty to, to, to give names or details because they're dealing t- talking to family members. Yes, but this close fam- family friend of ours put us on a speakerphone. They want us on the sp- speakerphone to tell us that a, a, a person of the family was um, basically told by the doctor, you've got weeks to live. We're going to go on, um, you know, we're going down that pathway. And Heartbreaking news. And I promise you, there was not, we never even considered the presidential election in that conversation. Never even thought about it. And in fact, I've, as a pastor, I've, you know, I've walked with people through some very, very, very difficult, every pastor has. Many of you have as well. And I can tell you, I have never once, never once been sitting at somebody's bedside in the hospital and had them say to me, hey, Terry, would you read to me 
from the Constitution or the Revised Code of Washington? Would you read me some of the laws? Nobody ever asks for that in those moments. They ask for the bread of life. They ask for the truth. So I'm challenging you. Um, and I really believe you know that there are more important things in your heart than the politics that are going on. So I'm challenging you, you particularly between now and November 8th. Is that when the election day is, November 8th? Um, and after that as well, to put your faith ahead of your politics. And here's, I want to just qualify for you right now so you can relax and not shut this off before we get too far. Here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. You should have an opinion. Have an opinion. I mean, you know, I mean, many of us, I know that some of us are fine not having an opinion. In fact, I've talked to people and they're just happy to not have an opinion and they go through life happier than I do. (laughs) I probably have too many opinions, but it's good if you have an opinion. It's okay if you want to yell at the TV. Go ahead and yell at what you see on TV. If it makes you feel better, if it makes the rest of the family miserable, then go in the den and yell at the TV. But I'm not telling you not to yell at the TV. And I'm not suggesting that we all will agree, or even that we should all agree. It's okay if we don't all agree. I'm not suggesting that we, um, you know, that would be foolish to try to figure out that we always see things the same. And I'm not even suggesting that all Christians should vote for a particular candidate or a particular party. I'm not suggesting that either. What I'm saying is this. Put your faith, put your convictions ahead of your politics. And, you know, I think that for, for most of us in this group, just because I kind of know you as a crowd, I don't think most of us would see any conflict between the topics of faith and politics. Um, in fact, maybe you would say, well, hey, I don't have any trouble with combining my faith and my politics. In fact, Terry, the very reason I'm a Republican is because I'm a Christian, or the very reason I'm a Democrat is because I'm a, con- I'm, I'm a Christian. And I, I, you know, I, I, maybe you're even thinking, you know, I'm so glad that you're talking about this because I'm perfectly fine with this. I'm glad these other people will be here to get straightened out. <laughs> you know, I've heard these arguments before. You know, you know, maybe, you know, hey, you know, well, hey, first off, Terry, God is always right. Jesus is always right. Right. So they're always right. If for another reason, obviously God is right. He's a Republican. <laughs> Or Jesus called Matthew, who was a tax collector, and another name for a tax collector is a publican, which is kind of like Republican, so obviously Matthew and Jesus were Republicans. (laughs) And, (laughs) okay, don't take me out and tie me to the railroad tracks just yet, okay? All right, so obviously, you know, and, and in fact, Jesus said, I came, I didn't come for those who are healthy, I came for the sick. And... You know, I, I didn't come for the righteous. They're just, they're getting along just fine. I've come to call sinners to repentance, you know. So, so, so there's the people, Terry, that are on the right, like God and Jesus. And then, then there's the sinners. And I'm a Republican. Everybody else is a sinner. I mean, that maybe, I mean, I haven't heard maybe necessarily that's not a quote, but I've heard and I've been around that attitude. And, and if you're a Democrat, you're going, are you kidding me? Jesus was a walking, talking, medical, healthcare dispensing machine. Everywhere he went, he was healing people. People would line up, and he never made anybody. He turned anybody away, and he didn't charge anybody a dime, and it was really, really good health care, and it was free. That's democratic value. There was times, too, that he gave away food. Those are democratic values. Jesus was obviously a Democrat. 
And the most famous verse is John 3, 16. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but ever, ever. All right, right? But the second most famous verse is quoted by virtually every politician. I'll start it out and you can probably finish this for me. But every politician says this, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, free as in liberated, as in libertarian. <laughs> Jesus was a libertarian. And, you know, Paul was talking to Christians, the church in 1 Thessalonians and Thessalonica, and he said, you know, work hard with your own hands. Scripture says, and says, mind your own business. God was a libertarian. Mind your own business. Stay out of mine. You know, nationally, God, God clearly leans libertarian. Okay, now, have I effectively offended every one of you? Because I hope so. I wanted to make sure that all of you would stay with me. I realize every time I go on a topic like this, there's a railroad tracks right out back, and I'm thankful that you don't take me out back and tie me to them every week. So my point is this. When it comes to putting your faith before your politics, it's not enough to say Bible first. It, 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 it's not enough to say that because, and it, it, in fact, it's not enough because no matter where you stand politically, you can find something in the Bible to support your position. No matter where you can stand, you can find something that you believe will support a position, no matter where. And in fact, if you dig, you can probably find something that Jesus said or did that in some way supports your position, no matter what. And it's interesting, when political season comes, you know, we all kind of want Jesus to get on our side, to take our side um, in a situation, especially if you're a Christian. But when, but when you read through the Gospels, Jesus did not come to be on everybody's side. Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. He came to take over. And for us to get this right, and, and we can get this right, and for us to get this right, and we, we got to get this right, it requires more than reading what the Bible says and more than even reading what Jesus says. To get this right, we have to approach the situation in the same way that Jesus approached the situation and every situation. We actually have to do the things that Jesus did. And Jesus did one thing really, really consistently, and he did it you know, very specifically that I believe all of us can do. You can do this. And it's not complicated. It's pretty simple, but it's also convicting, and I really believe it's transforming. And, 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 and the way that you keep your faith in front of your politics, the way that you keep your faith filter first is by this. You put people first and your politics second. You put your people first, and, and, and because Jesus was for what was best for people. Jesus always put first um, what was best for people. And that's our common ground. That's our common ground as citizens. It's our common ground as Christians. It's our common ground with our Heavenly Father. And, you know, we can disagree. And we will. And that's okay. We can disagree on what's best for people. But we cannot, we really dare not disagree that what is best for people is what's best. What's best for people is what's best. Scripture teaches this over and over again. Uh, Jesus confronted attitudes at times, and I won't teach it in too much detail now. 
because I don't want to go forever on this, but he basically said that people were not created for the law. The law was created for the people. Um, the Sabbath, um, the people were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for the people. The, the, the people were not created for the earth. The earth was created for the people. And we can disagree, you know, all day long about what is best for people and how to go about what's best for people. And these are things that we are dealing with as a nation and debating about. Um, and we can do that as long as we wa- want to. But as long as, as we decide that anything is more important than people, we've begun to, to think differently than God. And, um, you know, we can debate about what's best for people, but I really don't think we, there's much of a debate about um, what's best for people is what is best. And you find this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus was, was for what's best for people. And we know that from the most famous scripture I mentioned, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, only begotten son. And, 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 and when he did that, he sent his son to pay an ultimate price. And he did that not for the dirt. He did it for you and for me. He did it for people. And there was this um, confrontation going on one day with Jesus and the Pharisees. And uh, apparently the, the Sadducees had been, you know, taking some shots at Jesus and weren't getting much traction, obviously. And the Pharisees were kind of, you know, thinking, well, we'll just get in there and do this. So, so um, one of them comes to Jesus and it was someone who was um, schooled in the law and, um, and he was trying to trap him by asking him a question. And he says, hey, you know, you're a teacher. You claim to be close to God. What's most important? Tell us what's the most important thing. And there are a lot of important things. There's not like just one important thing and everything else is not important. There's a whole bunch of them. So out of those many important things, Jesus, what's the most important? And he replied, and we we pick up his reply in Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I think these guys were trying to set him up for political reasons. You know, they were trying to, you know, you know and, and, and you know, if you could ask, by the way, this question about this, this scripture of every person who's running, almost every person who's running for president right now, do you love God? And every, almost every one of them will they'll probably all say yes. But how do we know? How can you tell if one of them loves the Lord with all his heart, his soul, and his mind? How will you know that? I mean, I don't think we can do that. Um, and uh, so there's just too much wiggle room in the answer to that question. Anyway, so Jesus, Jesus doesn't even pause here. I mean, he doesn't, before they could breathe and ask another question, he just keeps right on going, declaring, verse, verse uh, 39, a second, a second is equally important. He's saying, I'm not finished yet. And the second topic here is equivalent. It's on the same level. It's just as important. Now, if you're not a church you know, person or a Christian, you've probably still heard this. Maybe you didn't know that it was Jesus that, that, that said this. He goes on, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Wow. You know, man, couldn't we just stop with the love God part? Because I can love God on the inside and treat my neighbor the way they deserve to be treated. I mean, I could, I could love God and treat my neighbor the way they treat me. I could treat their kids the way, you know, they treat our... I mean, and 
suddenly we can get into this, you know, a tit for a tat kind of a thing. And Jesus said, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That's, you know, what's most important to me is that you love God on the inside and that you demonstrate it on the outside. Well, how do we demonstrate it on the outside? By church attendance? No. There's wiggle room there too. You demonstrate, we demonstrate our, our love for God, our heart, our soul, and our mind by the way you treat other people. Because what's most important to God is people. That's the way we demonstrate it. When, and when, this, when Jesus gave this answer and he said, you know, all the laws, hang on this, all, there was over 600 laws um, plus everything that every prophet ever said. All that hangs on these two commandments, he's saying, hey, if you don't remember anything else, you better catch these two things. The most important thing in the world is love God and demonstrate it by how you love people. And you demonstrate it not, you demonstrate your love for God not by the way you treat God. There's way a lot of loopholes in that too, but you demonstrate the way you love God by how you treat the people he created. The way you treat the people God made in God's image is a reflection of your true love for God. So if you want to keep your faith um, in front of your politics, you put people ahead of politics. Now, I'm going to just make three quick, almost drive-by points um, on this, and then we're going to be done, and we're going to get back and worship some more. I want to talk about relationships a little bit. When you don't know someone, um, you know, how they could do such a thing, how they could think such a thing or believe or support such a person, when you don't know how in the world they could think the way they do or believe something, there's something you don't know. That, maybe I should repeat that again. And when, when, when you look at somebody and say, I don't know how you can think this way, there's something you don't know. And instead of being hot under the collar and throbbing temples and getting all worked up, um, because of their viewpoint, we, we should be the most compassionate people because we can remember, I can remember what I, the way I used to be and what I am now, but what I'm changing into becoming. We should be the most compassionate people and, and we should be the most composed. We should be, um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean that we don't believe our opinion passionately. It doesn't mean that we don't still address everything that's true. But in terms of our response, in terms of our demeanor, if you're a, a Christ follower, you have a responsibility um, and you've been called because we're called people. And I'm going to talk about that responsibility. We've been, we are called people. At the end of the day, though, what matters most to God is people. So before we respond... The way we treat people we needs to start there in relationship. The second thing I want to talk about briefly is influence. Influence. Should you have an opinion? Yes. You should absolutely have an opinion. Should you argue your point? Should you, you, know, you, you argue your opinion? Yes. In an appropriate way, absolutely argue your point. Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We have to remember how to properly balance those out. And remember the ratio it's a little bit of salt and a whole bunch of light. Remember? Too much salt makes it terrible. Not enough light, you trip. 
right? So you're salt and light, and it's up to you to figure out the right proportion. And our typical mistake is too much salt and not enough light. We want to do it, flop that. A little bit of salt is all it takes, and lots of light is really a good thing. Influence. And um, so we, we, we get that. Should we make, but beyond making our point, should we make our point at the cost of influence? And the answer is absolutely no. I believe you should never, never, because the reason is that we are called to influence people, especially in areas where eternity becomes at stake. That's what we're called to do. We're called to influence people. We're called to help put families back together. We're called to help put marriages back together. We're called to, to, to influence people so that they can see the world as it really is. And, and what we've been called to do is extraordinarily important. And the only way that we can do what we're called to do is through the influence that we have. So please hear this. I just would ask you never, 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 never give up influence unnecessarily. Don't give it up to your kids. Don't give it up to your spouse. Don't give it up to your neighbor. Don't give it up to the guy at work. Um, never give it up unnecessarily. And, and if you have influence, you should never give up influence um, over a political issue. If you have influence, maybe you don't, um, but I, I'd say exercise your influence when you can, but never give it up over a political issue. Why? Why do you say that, Terry? Well, because I think it's tragic when we burn a bridge, um, a relational b- bridge of influence, and um, maybe some of you, this will be your story, this will make sense to you, but we give up influence over a, a, an issue, and then the election ends, and later the temperature goes back down, and the heat goes away, and suddenly that guy at work, or that child, your, your child or that extended family member has a need or a question and they can't ask you and they can't invite you to help be a part of it because you lost influence over something that back in the heat of the moment it was really a big deal but maybe you can't even remember the fine detail of it anymore. So please, I suggest you never, never, never give up influence over a political issue because we as Christians have been called to influence our world, to influence everyone whom the Lord gives us the opportunity. Third thing I want to talk about is your vote. And I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. And I'm not here to tell you who I'm going to vote for. That's not my role. Um, I, I mean, if, you, if you're curious and you want to ask me as a brother, then ask me privately and I'll be glad to talk with you privately, but I don't want to use the pulpit somehow to push a political agenda. It's just not who I am and I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. But I am going to tell you about how I make my voting choices and why. And it's going to come out of the word. Okay? This isn't my preference. There's, there's, I, I dug. I could only find one example in the entire Bible. Maybe some of you can come up with some other ones, but I can only find one example of God saying, here's how to select civil leaders, government leaders. And the story goes back to Moses. He's leading the children of Israel, and there's, you know, leading all the many people, and it's more than just walking in front. You gotta, they got problems. They get into these issues. And his father-in-law, Jethro, says, hey, this is stupid. You need some more people among you to help carry the weight of leadership. And so they're having this chat. And here's, here's what God's word says, says and to him and to us. Verse, this is Exodus 18, verse 21. But select capable men from all the people. By the way, I don't think that's gender-specific. Um, it's, it's a cultural. 
But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. The qualifiers, it seems to me, are capable, fear God, trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Now, there are some references to selecting leaders in uh, the New Testament, 1 Timothy and other places. They tend to, I think they're relevant. I think it'd be a great qualifier list for us to select presidents and governors and senators, um, but they're more specific to the church, the body of Christ, but they're, good, they're a good guideline. And they have traditionally, for the last couple of hundred years, been the mindset of not just the church, but the entire culture used to think these are the qualifications for people to lead us. Somehow that's been lost over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but God, here's the thing. God says, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. That's the list. He doesn't tell us to vote based on our policies, issues of style. Doesn't tell us to vote based on whether they're conservative or liberal. He tells us to vote on the character of people who will lead. He doesn't tell us to vote based on their eloquence, their hairstyle, or even their experience. He doesn't even tell us to find people. He tells us to to, to select them based on their character. He asks, do they fear God? Are they trustworthy? And do they hate dishonest gain? He's basically saying, do they know me? And do they have integrity? And I love when God refines things down into bite size for Terry. Because, look, if they don't have integrity, they can promise you everything. And they're going to. But if they don't have integrity, they're not going to deliver. God's wise. And here's what I do. Lisa and I sit down at the counter. We get our ballots out together. And we kind of try to hack our way through all of the doorbelling that's gone on and the flyers and the phone calls and the voter guide and the debates and Fox News and CNN and anybody else that's injected something into our thinking over the time of the season. And we sit down and we try to figure this out. And it's hard. <laughs> Unless you, um, you know, golf with or knit with one of the... Um, candidates, you don't really know except what you can find out through all these other sources. And sometimes we find ourselves, we really cannot answer these questions from Exodus because we just don't know. Sometimes we do, and we feel like we have to make a bit of a defensive vote. Do you know what I mean by that? You pick the one who seems like less trouble, I don't know what that means. I'm not telling you you should do that. I'm just being transparent. But here's the deal. If I can't really settle in my soul that Jesus will be pleased with what I'm doing with my pen, I skip that race. Many of you would say, oh, don't do that, Terry. You know, but that's what I do because I feel accountable to the Lord. If I've endorsed somebody that I don't know and they go off doing something, God says, hey, Terry, you get a, you get a share of the responsibility because you voted for this dude. And I just want to be there. I don't want to be there. I feel accountable to the Lord. One last thing that I want to suggest about this. I talked about not influencing or not uh, giving up your influence. I, I just want to say you should never, ever jeopardize relationships. Ever. Especially over politics. And here's why. Because we can disagree on what's best for people, but we really cannot disagree on 
what's best for people is best. So I'm asking you to be intentional between now and election season to put your faith before your politics. And the way you do that is by putting people first. And here's why. Republican, Democrat, left or right, they are precious in his sight because Jesus loves the little children of the world. I'm going to pray. God, um, we will, as a, as a nation in the next couple of months, in all high likelihood, transition power, and it will be a bloodless transition. And that is rare on this earth. So many places get to this season, and there's literally war, and many innocent people are slaughtered over the transfer of power. Thank you, Lord for the blessing to be in a place where we get the freedoms that you give to us and people don't take them away. God, I, I pray that whatever I spoke today that is that resonates with your spirit, that those things would just somehow catch in our hearts. And everything that I shared today that was my stupid flesh, just dissolve it right now and let it be forgotten forever. And now, Lord, help us to get that balance just exactly perfect. A little bit of salt and a whole bunch of light that we might love people the way you did. We need these things, and we turn to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.